This is part one of a three-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, I think it's... Oh, there. I found a blinking red dot. We're recording. We're going to review Desert or Paradise. I have six people with me today. And uh, we're going to review up to and through page 16, starting with the preface. Now, one one thing I kind of noticed just reading it so far is um, you can you can definitely tell that they translated it from German to English. Like mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of phrasing where it just I don't I've I've been to so many presentations with Seth where there's a translator where it's like the way things are said, it sounds like they're doing their best to translate German into English. And this book is like exactly that. I don't know how to describe how I detect that. I don't know if any of you feel the same way. Well, German is a very structured language. And so I think that if you're doing translation from German, it's going to sound very formal. Yeah, formal. There's yeah. that. Yeah. Um, definitely see a lot of the words that uh, Sepulcher uses a lot. Um, and on top of that, I don't know if, it, if it's because I have now written a book and I've been through comma patrol hell. <laughs> also known as the editing phase. Um, but it's like I've noticed a, not only grammatical errors, but typos. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if anybody else is noticing this. I haven't noticed any spelling errors, but grammatical Just errors. One, one little typo I saw. Okay. Yeah, they happen. Yeah, no, it's they're okay. going to sneak through. I just kind of feel like, I don't normally ever notice them, but maybe I'm noticing them because I've been through comma patrol hell. You're a new person now. You're a published author, so you have a new outlook. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. So um, uh, there's there's definitely a Holzerian flavor to these words. I I think I think that. Um, like, whoever did the translation for Sepulcher's Permaculture, like, translated it to English, and then they took that English version, and then they translated that to English. Does, uh, is this making any sense to anybody? Like, so, are you saying that the other book by Sepulcher sounds more conversational, and this one sounds a little more stilted? Yes. I'm going to say that. Um okay. And okay. And, then, and it's worth mentioning for people who haven't listened to all the podcasts that you have spent some time in person with Seth Holzer. I have spent more than 30 full days uh, hanging with Seth Holzer. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm sure... Yeah, it is, says it was uh, 
Translated by Thomas Holzer. Oh, his son? Ah, nepotism. What? <laughs> well, that's one well, way to make sure that it's translated sort of fairly and accurately, but it, it does sort of account for the, the, the delivery, shall we say, of it, and it, it is rather commanding um, and less invitational. So Wait, that might be a coincidence. Thomas Holzer spells his last name differently. Oh, oh. Yeah. You're right. well, Joseph. Yeah, oh, right. Joseph. Okay. Well, in any case, it is. I, Paul, I agree with you. It it, um, it isn't the easiest text to like sit down and enjoy on a lovely day, hiding in your chair. It takes some work to read it. Well, okay. I mean. These are the words of the mighty, the glorious, the amazing Sepp Holzer. So, I mean, the fact that it's translated at all is awesome. And I kind of feel like the, the way it's presented is actually quite, quite good. I, I, I guess, um, you know, I would have, I would have accepted less. Does that make so? But but yeah, I was just kind of reading it, and I was kind of feeling like um, like yeah, there is a there is a flavor to this that you've gotta you've gotta have a little bit more hunger perhaps to drink from the Sepulcher fountain to you know to eagerly eat up these words. Now here's a cool thing, and that is that okay. So we're for those of you that are watching this on YouTube. We've got the, the, what the cover looks like, Desert or Paradise. And we're on the Goodreads page. And, uh, uh, so we've got Kyle. Kyle's being our image bitch. Thank you, Kyle, for stepping up. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) But look at that. 4.7, oh wait. Okay, it's 4.78 stars. It's got 18 ratings. I know that my book on Goodreads has 4.20 stars, and I know this because I am a disgusting, vulgar, self-pub author who looks at this page almost every day to see if that number has changed. And I know, like, Toby Hemingway told me that he did this all the time. He couldn't stop himself from, like, looking. And uh, uh, so now I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those authors. I'm looking at this all of the time. Ah, I want this number to go up. Ooh, it's got 149 ratings. That's, that's one more than the last time I looked. But that was the point I was making is mine's got 149 and his had 18. And I'm thinking, like, surely more people have read Desert or Paradise than have read my book. Um, but the uh, 4.78, that is, that is way super-duper high. I mean, mine is 4.20. And on Goodreads, that's, like, considered one of the very best books on all of Goodreads. But 4.78 is unheard of. But the one I saw, that how many reviews it had, and it's like, oh, oh. So um, this oh. is Opalin, and apparently this book has two accounts or entries on Goodreads. Oh. And one has 18 ratings, and one has 55 ratings. 
What's the, how many stars does the one with 55 have? 4.25. There we go. There's the other one. So it's still better than me, but um, it's got more ratings. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I'm new to Goodreads. Uh, I don't think I ever looked at Goodreads until I, my book came out. And it's like, oh, this is this is the place. You gotta you gotta go look. Uh, I guess. And so, um, and uh, um, there's so much more to it that I don't understand. And I want to talk about all the things I don't understand, and then have everybody help me <laughs> to understand what I don't understand. Um, but okay, skippity skip skip skip. I was just thinking, like, very very highly rated, despite. These little things that we were just that I was just quibbling about, um, where it's like, oh, it's, it it kind of is a and and I would have to say that the difficulty in reading it is trivial, really. Uh, Paul, may I introduce the, your concept of the Wheaton Eco Scale here? And <laughs> I, I, I'm wondering if um, one needs to be at a certain level on the Wheaton Eco Scale to even comprehend what Seth is talking about. Ooh. And if that oh man, Elliot! Am I the only person who hears Elliot kind of going into robot mode? Yeah, I found it here. Really? Oh, that's bad. I'll be quiet. (laughs) Regular Elliot's fine. It's Robot Elliot that we hate. Robot Elliot. So, uh, by the way, this is probably a good time to mention that everybody on this call with me is a a Patreon supporter. And so, uh, trying to, you know, do, trying to beef up that Patreon thing, which, you know, I, I'm hoping we'll make everything else work after that. <laughs> all all good things will come from this. But thank you, everybody, for being a, a Patreon supporter. You're helping to get everything to work. And I'm, I want to get my – I want to do more of my podcasts, and I'm, I'm glad you guys are here to help me with this today. And uh, I, I, know, I enjoy this kind of format, the, uh, the thing where we review books page by page. Well, I'm really glad to, to be part of the Patreon program. This is my first year being part of the Patreon program, and I waited, I don't know why, for years and years. I'm not above the poverty line, and so I was like, oh, I can't really afford it. But, you know, you can you can sign up for Patreon with $1 a month or $1 per, uh, like, max per month for things that come out. And so it's it, it can be budgeted, and it, the feeling of being able to support something you believe in, I find that really valuable to me, like, like definitely more than whatever I was going to do with that dollar before. <laughs> so if you if you feel like if you've been on the fence and you're thinking of doing it, but you're worried about spending too much, you really can set it to a reasonable amount um, if you want to have that feeling of participating. It's really fun. So I recommend it. I, I think all those little dollars add up, and it really, you know, helps us to put the, the podcasts out and, and, and get them recorded. I mean, I know that we've got like 200 new topics that we really need to address and probably a hundred books that we need to do process this way. And, um, it, and when the, when the, the Patreon thing is heavily loaded up, it, it's like, 
oh, wow, yeah, if we keep making these podcasts, that'll pay for all the things and keep the boot program going and all that stuff. So, but right now, it's kind of edge case. There's, there's a little bit of money there, but not a, not a lot. Um, and uh, I kind of felt like, well, if we make more, we'll get more Patreon supporters. All right, <clears throat> so much for the begging for money section of, of today's podcast. Uh, moving moving along, very high rating on Goodreads, and I think that that's the counter, the um, the slight uh, Germanic flavor of the English, um, and uh, uh, and stuff like that. So um, I I we've read up to page sixteen. I felt that there were some things that were like really profound to me. I mean, I've not read this book yet. I've I've owned this book for years. In fact, I think I think Maddie Harland, the publisher, sent me this um, in the hopes that I would do the thing that we're doing right now, which which is doing the page by page review. And I've been choosing to not open it, which has been painful for me, uh, until we do this this kind of review. All right. <clears throat> Before we start doing the line-by-line uh, -line review of this book, has anybody got anything else they want to add about it? Nope. I okay. do. Oh. Yes, I do. Um, so my comment is sort of um, tying – anyway, I'll just dive into it. Um, so while I was attending the Evergreen State College, um, my teachers often commented that our biosphere was failing, and they told us that it's our job to fix it, but they never told us how. And I sort of felt like that was a lot of the first part of Chapter 1. So I flipped through the book, and I found, like, five things. And it was just amazing to have such a small book in my hand that actually started talking about how. Now, at Evergreen, I thought that was one of the few places where you actually do things. Like, like okay... Today, we're going to build a cob house, all right? We're going to get our hands literally dirty. You know, is that um, not true? That would be permaculture experiences, according to Paul. <laughs> um, not Evergreen State College. Okay. Um, Evergreen is a very integrated school, so you take a program that has chemistry and biology and math and often a fourth component um, for the whole year. And so you're not, like, picking and choosing and getting chemistry by itself and math by itself and biology by itself, but you're learning how they all integrate. Okay. Um, but I would not call it a doing college. <laughs> oh, I, I thought I've met some people from Evergreen, and they, had, they, like, showed me pictures of things they literally built while, like, as part of a class at Evergreen. Um, and I thought, wow, wow. I thought all colleges everywhere were to sit on your butt, stare at the teacher, and, um, you know, then take tests. But I want to counter something that you said, and that is that um, the, uh, the things that are often taught at schools that are going to be in environmental programs are that um, – uh, Man, think we are so fucked, and uh, yeah. and the level of fucked 
is rising. Look, I got a graph for you to look at. Here's here's how fucked we were before, not as fucked. Here's where we are now, very. And then if you follow the graph into the future, here's here's where we all die. See that? See, I made a graph shows us all dying. All in the graph, pretty nice, huh? We're gonna teach you how to make graphs like this, and and the only solution that you're gonna be provided is to call politicians and be angry at them for fucking us over like this. Because we didn't do this, right? It was all only those politicians. That's that's who did it. So, um, <clears throat> is I I believe that that's how most uh, university experiences go. Is was was that kind of what Evergreen did? Um, so I did a lot of like theory and practice, but in my natural sciences courses, I didn't have things to take home at the end of the day. Like I also um, I needed a, a different sort of mental space. So over the summer, I took a an art course, and I I made mosaic artwork, and that was glasswork. It was beautiful and a lot of fun, but that was the only time that I like took home things that were not paper. Okay, so now you push the button on Julia. I'm surprised Julia's not already... No, what? <laughs> saying, mosaic! Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I love mosaic! I love mosaic. I would not agree. <laughs> all right, all right. So, um, the part about, the part I'm saying about the thing, the, the, the thing that you do to fix everything according to the uh, a, a college message is to be angry at politicians, be angry at the bad guys. And is that accurate? Is that part accurate? Um, I would say that there's not a lot else. There are few other options presented in, in my experience. And there's okay. a lot of activism at Evergreen. Yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, when I was a young fella, I was certain that that was the thing also. And um, and now here we are. I, I have a whole different mindset. And I believe Seth Holzer has a different mindset also. That's what we're going to study today. And so your message was that, that you skipped ahead and you were finding, man, this guy has amazing shit at solving global problems. And, yeah, I, just, uh, I needed to make sure that the whole book wasn't going to be the same message that I got in college. And so, yeah, oh, I did. Yeah. I read a few pages, and it was really, really, like, inspired me to keep reading chapter one, because I was, I was, like, half ready to be done with chapter one, if that's what the whole book was going to be. <laughs> I do feel like there are some golden nuggets uh, in this yeah. first part that we're going to review today. Um, but I I kind of feel like it's not the kind of meat that I really want, the kind of meat that I expect from Sepp Holzer. But, but um, I, I do believe that there is this smidgen of thing, and I know... I know I've mentioned it in the in the podcast before, where I I wish I had this mental superpower that Seth has, where when there's the negative Nellies, he just waves his hand at them, his dismissive hand wave, 
and says they're just jealous. Which, by <laughs> the way, is like it's it's his catchphrase for so many things. Uh, you hear it almost as much as when anybody presents an idea and he says catastrophe or catastrophin. <clears throat> um, but I, I do think it's an admirable mindset. Um, I think I think his path is like I'm going to save you whether you like it or not. I'm going I'm going to save everything, and you better just shut the fuck up and get the get out of my way. And I I just don't feel I I feel like I'm. I am almost that arrogant, but not quite. And uh, I, I, I kind of feel like I, I need the, I need more people to embrace this stuff than currently are. And so I want to try to understand why they are not and and this way that Sep has might be part of it. I think that the how to that he presents, um, or or maybe it's not the how to as much as it is is like, hey, look what I made. Hey, it fixes everything, see? Alright? <laughs> Just shut the fuck up and know that it fixes everything. Okay? No, I can shut up. Just nod your head, okay? Like that's that we've got now. We've got the information. We've got the knowledge that we needed, but we're kind of missing this bridge to it. And and there's a lot of people that are easily distracted by shiny objects that are not crossing the bridge. And I'm trying to understand how how to get them on that bridge and get all the way across. Does that make sense? Am I? Just babbling. It's hard. So, I, I feel like there's a there's a piece missing, and I feel like my book helps to get people to this information in a way. Does anybody else have anything they want to say before we go to the preface by Step Holzer on page V I I I? No. All right. Here is the preface by Sepp Holzer, and uh, um, <clears throat> our our policy is is that uh, when we're doing these reviews, that we try to read no more than ten percent of the book into uh, the podcast, um, because that seems like about where the fair use line is drawn. And then, of course, uh, the other thing, the other ingredient that we mix into all of this to help us to, to do this sort of review is to say, hey, you know what would be great is if you went out and bought the book, right? Ooh, look at that picture. You know, you'd really appreciate this picture I'm looking at right now if you bought the book. <laughs> and, uh, oh, look, a table, which I cannot read in, into the, a podcast. Uh, you'd see the table if you, bought, if you bought the book. Things like that. So you guys help me with reminding people to buy the book. And, uh, uh, and I'm going to now read the very first paragraph of the preface by Sepp Holzer. Our thinking is far too short-term. This is the grave conclusion I keep coming to after receiving feedback about my books, presentations, and workshops. 
Nowadays, most people want immediate solutions and recipes to existing problems. They do not think beyond today and tomorrow. They neglect to tune into nature. They neglect to tie past, present, and future together. They want everything now, ready to use, prepared by someone else. To me, this is not a life worth living. <sighs> okay. Um, I think I agree with a lot of that. If, if a lot of people, because I think permaculture is a, is a large holistic thing, and it's also kind of, a lot of it is, is, is to admit that the system is more complicated than we will ever understand. Therefore, what we're attempting to do to solve problems will not fit on a bumper sticker. And so... Yeah. I've when, had that conversation with people who have just kind of done a half hour, like, or, but you know, or a 30 second or whatever, read about, like, the permaculture Wikipedia page, and they say, well, it's... It's too complicated. It doesn't work everywhere. It's, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not a bumper sticker kind of thing. And it's, it, it's kind of frustrating. I, I have, I have seen permaculture people reject permaculture stuff because it's not sitting in front of them right now. I've seen I have seen permaculture people reject permaculture stuff because it's right now, it's winter. So permaculture stuff will not work because I cannot see it right now and it's winter. I cannot imagine that there would ever be another time but winter, therefore it doesn't exist. It's, it's like they, you, like, even when you talk about sepulcher stuff in Austria, it cannot work here. Because I'm in the United States, which is not Austria. Or when we see pictures like the ones on the screen right now, which I'm pretty sure those are in Portugal. And it's like, oh, those things won't work here because that's Portugal. And this is the United States. It's bizarre how people can latch on to a disconnect so instantly and I kind of feel like we just we got to have more examples of such intense polyculture and these techniques in and all over the United States just so that you know you can drag somebody kicking and screaming and put it in front of them and then watch them you know grab at totally different excuses like the excuses that they had 10 seconds ago about Portugal suddenly are washed away and now they find a new set of excuses. <clears throat> it's so funny because permaculture, it seems like is the opposite of that. That If you listen, if you sit with nature and, and listen, even in the winter, even in random places in the world, you could find permaculture things to do there and right then. It's so the opposite of what I think of as permaculture. <laughs> I... I I, all right. I've, I've got all these new philosophies and stuff, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip past all of those. 
But the, the, the thing is, is that for this paragraph, he starts off his very first sentence, our thinking is far too short term. And I kind of feel like, um, I, like they do. There's so many people, it's like, if I'm going to grow a garden, I want to plant the seeds, like as I'm thinking of it, which turns out to be August. And I, I'm going to plant tomato seeds in the ground in August, like August 1st. And I better be eating tomatoes on August 7th, or this is fucking stupid, and I'm out. It's, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, first of all, any form of gardening is a patience game. But I, I kind of feel like um, if you're going to garden for 20 years, isn't it preferable to have a kind of a garden where as you get older, the garden care gets easier? I mean, I think that after five years of gardening, you start to say, oh, man, this is the fifth year that I've done the exact same thing, and I'll get the exact same crop, and I wish I could grow even more food, but I I can't come up with that much more time. So what I'm going to do is, um, anyway, with permaculture, then it's like you get to the point where five years down the road, you could stop gardening altogether and just harvest, and then you'll get this you get an, an immense amount of food out of the system with just harvesting. I think you know and it's all about part of it is is the complexity of it, but part of it is how it can be simple if you'll let it be simple. But when you see row gardening and you you like that's what you've experienced is row gardening then it kind of seems like then that's that's what you keep wanting to go back to but I kind of feel like if we had more examples of permaculture more people would go with the flow of the permaculture system alright I'm going to move on to the next piece uh, this is the last piece I've marked in the preface um, this book is not a recipe book even though it offers practical advice I will deal with details, but I will not spoon-feed you. This is a big complaint a lot of people have about permaculture, is that um, they they open up a permaculture book, and then um, they might even like do exactly what they found in the permaculture book. They'll be living in Montana, and they'll go and build a whole bunch of swales, and they'll plant jackfruit and bananas and pineapples, And then they'll be like, it didn't work. This stuff is all stupid. And it's kind of like, yeah, in in Montana, those things won't don't work so good. And And I knew I shouldn't have done that. What's that? I said, oh, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Right. If I'd have just done it the way that the row croppers do it, I would it would have worked. And they're right because. So that's why permaculture books are so vague. It's because it's kind of like, we need to give you the ideas. We need to give you the mechanics without getting specific. Because wherever you are, it's going to be a little weird. And so the specifics don't do well. I I know that, like, um, I've heard a lot of people say that they can't do what Joel Salatin does. Because Joel Salton's in uh, a place where 
the topsoil is six feet deep. Just like universally everywhere, this amazing topsoil. So now anything that he does is going to turn to gold horticulturally because of those deep, deep soils. Whereas but other here's places, the thing. Sorry, Paul. I, I just I want to say that I've read some of his work, and he talks about how it was dead, bare patches of earth all over the place when he moved or started what he's doing. So absolutely. People, you know, exactly what the culture's saying. Like, people thinking is far too short term. At the same time, like, where, like, where I am right now, we've got two properties, base camp and the lab. And base camp is, like, uh, a 20-acre rock, like one rock. Those of you that have been here and have seen, <laughs> like, <clears throat> oh, confirm, lots yeah. of rock. rock. Yeah. So there's the bedrock right there at the surface. You can see it like everywhere. And um, uh, but Joel Salatin, he has at least when he started on that property, he started with dirt which he, in time, converted to soil. Um, but, yeah, if you're starting off with, with dirt or rock, and granted, rock is going to be a whole different kind of challenge. Like, Salatin's techniques would fail on this rock. Um, I mean, not completely. You would get some progress using his techniques. I mean, so, so here's a, a, a picture Kyle has pulled up, and you can see all of the chickens that Salatin has. And, and the thing is, is Salatin buys feed, feeds it to the chickens, then the chickens poop it all out all over the place. And so it's kind of like with that much organic matter ending up on the soil, yeah, you'll grow. <laughs> you'll grow stuff. Whereas if it, before it was just a solid rock, now it's a solid rock with a layer of poop on it. Um, things will grow out of that. <laughs> you can get started. It'll do better than before when it was just solid rock. So there will be improvements. <clears throat> All right. Um, I am going to move on. I'm going to skip the uh, the sections on acknowledgement. I'm going to skip who is Sepulter, unless you guys have anything out of acknowledgement or who is Sepulter you want to share. I wanted to say that I got this book, uh, the Eve version, and I have an Android phone. I got the Kindle reader, which was free. And so, if you if you feel like not having buy the the digital version, especially if you want to read through it every week or or every podcast with us. Yeah. So, um, uh, I'm going to start. I'm going to jump into chapter one. Reading nature. Um, by the way, whenever Seth doesn't want to answer a question, because of whatever reason, whether it's his, his secret sauce or it's um, or he doesn't know the answer to your question or whatever, he always says, you must read the book of nature. And then he puts his hands out and opens his hands as if he's opening a book. And, and this is his whole shtick. You must read the book of nature. So, does he have it on? What's that? Does he have that on a shirt, like a T-shirt? <laughs> I, I have a T-shirt with the book of nature. I got it at the first Permaculture Voices. 
Awesome. <laughs> All right, reading nature. Uh, separation from nature is the biggest problem. He says, people, having distanced themselves from nature, thinking they know better than nature, are a great catastrophe. All right, is it just me, or is this one of those places where the grammar's a little wonky? People having distanced themselves from nature, thinking they know better than nature, are a great catastrophe. Right. <laughs> I still understand what he's trying to say. And I, I love the part, thinking they know better than nature. I mean, it, it seems like, it seems like, in my experience... I get in way too many weird, stupid arguments with dumb fucks. And the, the thing is, is that these people feel like they know all there is to know and that the things that they're saying are the thing, the end, this is it, this is, this is the, the final bit. Um, and it, I kind of feel like I, you know, by reading this, I, I feel I accept gets it. Um, so uh, the, the key is, is is mostly this thing where they know better, where they believe they know better. And then, of course, they are the great catastrophe. This is one of his favorite words, catastrophin. Um the next part I have marked off is several pages later on page four. Does anybody have anything before page four they want to talk about? Hmm. Um, I had quite a few. I had something marked off for most pages, but if we want to skip ahead. No, 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 no. Um, Do your I like pitch. The part where I like uh, the part here down below. I am totally convinced of this. Whatever I do in life, I need to take responsibility for it. I need to act with responsibility towards nature, however she presents herself in a tree, a pig, a stream, or a grasshopper. Uh, yeah, I think that was, um, that kind of stood out for me. Um, and I wonder how you keep yourself from, when you do put yourself in the, you know, look, try to look at the world from that point of view to not uh, anthropomorphize those things or project our wants onto those things when you're looking at it from their view. So if you're contemplating the tree and yeah. you're trying to put yourself in the tree's position, step one, don't anthropomorphize the tree. Right. Instead, don't, don't, yeah. tree, tree the fuck up. Right or uh, I'm not going to make the tree into something human. I'm going to make me into more of a tree. Then I'm going to activate the empathy. Okay, what's what's up with this tree? Like, what is you know to observe a healthy tree, and then to observe the same species of tree as a sad tree. Then you know what is this? I I kind of feel like um, Sepp Holter's 
design stages is like if I see a space where something is wrong and it's a space where I want it to be different than what it is, then rather than thinking like I'm going to go in there and mulch and fertilize and I'm going to, you know, kill the bugs and I'm going to, you know, force it to be what I want today, instead he looks at it as more of, I have, clearly my design here has failed, how do I improve my design? And uh, uh, I kind of like, I really like that approach, rather than like um, uh, something like when you see, uh, in fact, his his position on aphids is rather fascinating, and I still, I'm still trying to come up to speed on it. I feel like I am not yet to, to full holster status on aphids, but his position is, is that there are many species of plant that cannot survive without aphids. The mm. aphids, the aphids are required, but. If he sees a plant that is dying from too many aphids, then he's kind of thinking, how did I design this so poorly that the plant that I wanted to keep is now being overrun by aphids? So rather than, like, I want to go kill all the aphids and smash all the aphids or bring a bunch of ladybugs here or, you know, all the different things that I might do to get rid of the aphids, how do I change the design of this spot so that way this species of plant will thrive here instead of suffer under aphid damage. Well, there's also kind of looking at it from the point of view of the individual uh, as opposed to the the species as a whole. Like, if I want to do what's right for a given tree, I want to look at it from its point of view. What does it want? It wants to grow and make a bunch of little copies of itself. It wants to totally depopulate the earth except for little copies of itself, that individual. Whereas, you know, looking at, you got to take a bigger view than, like, what what he said isn't that simple. you got to, you know, an individual pig wants to, you know, root around and, and eat all the food in the entire world and lay around and have a bunch of babies, but like that's not good for pigs as a whole. Or for trees as a whole, or for people as a whole. Very good point. So all right. uh, yeah, I don't know. Making one individual happy, like look at me, I don't know. I don't know where I don't know, it's a big like uh, it's a big topic of discussion from my point of view. What else do you have before page four? Was that Julia? Did you have something to add? Was that who else was somebody was saying? Um, I have something on page. No, not Julia. It's oh. Opalun. And there's like several, um, even just sentences in this book so far that I could spend like hours of days like pondering and. What Kyle was just talking about leads into, like, the next sentence that I really found um, important, profound, inspiring. 
and that is nature provides all the energy we need to act appropriately. And so, like, that inspires kind of all, all the things that go into that. Okay, how do we scale back from our addiction to fossil fuel so that we can act appropriately? <laughs> it's just a really thought-provoking piece, and there are many of them. I, I, I do think that to answer your question, how do we, um, how do we wean ourselves off of our addiction to fossil fuels and anything else that we think is probably, uh, less than wholesome? And, um, I think that, uh, the first step is always try a little bit. I mean, I, I kind of feel like a lot of people first say something like, well, I, I need my car to go to work and I don't have any other way to get to work so you know therefore I'm not going to try anything at all and I think that um, I, I think that there's there's long lists of things that are like tiny things that a person could do and um, and eventually it, you you get better and better and better and you get closer and closer and closer to your goal as the years pass I think that I now use like a quarter of the petroleum that I used 20 years ago. I think it's, it might even be less than that. It might be like, like a tenth of the petroleum that I used 20 years ago from just trying little things and yeah. more and more. Um, but anyway, Kyle, do you have something yes. else before page four? Hey, uh, um, Let's see, on uh, page three and four, kind of spanning that, uh, the topic about, he, he talks about how deforestation just kind of, uh, not kind of leads to, uh, catastrophins. Um, and he, um, makes a very good, um, you know, like a case, like you cut down the tree, this is what happens, like directly. And it really makes a lot of sense. And then, uh, going into page four, he has two things, um, talking about how tree monocultures are not the answer. You have to have a diverse forest to reverse um, this effect. And then in the next section under water is key, he talks about um, your... Uh, uh, your how, like, the reservoirs, how they're done now do the opposite of what they are. You need to have, you can't have a square, uh, you know, flat bottom concrete reservoir that won't do what you need to do. You need to have your, uh, you know, your edge effect, uh, um, your crenulated edge of the, of the pond and you need to have different depths and all that, all that good stuff. I thought that was uh, very good. And there's a correlation between the two. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.